Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. On this episode, I chat with Ryan Levenberg, VP Finance at Q4 Inc., the fastest-growing cloud-based investor relations and capital market solutions to the IR industry with over 1,200 clients. Ryan is the VP of Finance at Q4 and joined in December of 2014. Prior to joining Q4, Ryan was working with both public and private companies at PwC, providing assurance services and transaction support. Ryan's entrepreneurial spirit, paired with his professional experience, has allowed him to bring innovative financial management practices to Q4. Ryan holds a Bachelor of Commerce degree from Ryerson University, a Master of Management and Professional Accounting from the University of Toronto, and is a CPA CA. Well, that's enough for me. Let's chat with Ryan Levenberg, Vice President of Finance at Q4 Inc. morning, Ryan. Thanks for taking the time to hop on the backbone this morning. Uh, so I want to get started. You know, prior to Q4, you were a co-founder at universitybuy.com and then at PwC. Uh, tell me a little bit more about your journey to Q4 and how that all happened. Sure. No, pleasure to be here and thanks for having me on. Uh, University Buy was something that kind of came out of the whole group buying space when that uh, popularity was uh, very much mainstream. A, f- a, a friend of mine and I decided that we were going to look at the university market and see if we could, you know, figure out a an angle to um, to develop our own niche in that space. And uh, it was a really cool experience. We got to work with developers, built the site, started to go around different university mm-hmm. towns around Toronto, uh, speak to stores, organize deals, ran a bunch of campaigns. It was a little bit short-lived, but nonetheless, you know, an unbelievable experience in terms of being able to to run through that whole cycle and get things up and running. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. And then from there, you went uh, to PwC. Is that right? Or that was during your university, like while you were a student, you were running university by and then joined PwC? I was. I was doing, um, I was kind of in between a master's program, a summer program, and it kind of fell in the middle and then uh, joined PwC. Uh, I was uh, doing a master's program that had a co-op placement program and was lucky enough to get a, a job with PwC and um, 
I sat in the mining practice at PwC, hmm. to be honest. Uh, I spent about the first three and a half years in the mining practice. Um, you know, learned more about the mining space <laughs> than I ever thought I would know. <laughs> um, and uh, and then towards the end of my career there, started to get involved in some in some tech engagements, and that really opened my eyes a little bit more to the Toronto tech scene. It was it was growing. Um, there was a lot of interest around it, and started to work with some really great partners over there and um, kind of showed me the way to the Toronto tech scene and that really sparked my interest and um, when I decided to, to look externally for different opportunities it was you know pretty clear that um, tech was pretty high on that cool. list. And so then uh, from knowing that you wanted to go out into tech to um, joining Q4 uh, how was how that experience or that that kind of transition like for you? Certainly a transition. Yeah, going from mining mining to to uh, to tech and investor relations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not not too many similarities between the mining space and the tech space, but um, nonetheless, you know, there's still this aspect of uh, running a business and raising money and uh, having good operations. But my road to Q4 was, um, you know, I, I would say pretty typical. I just put myself out there. I networked a lot with uh, VCs in the city. I got introductions to anyone that I could, had a lot of coffee conversations, and uh, was lucky enough to eventually get introduced to uh, to Q4. My name got passed. Um, I, got a, I got a call out of the blue one day, um, rang me up and said, hey, we heard you're a finance guy interested in tech. And I said, <laughs> yep, I am. Um, and that was kind of uh, the beginning of that. So, Ryan, tell me a little bit more about Q4, what it actually is, and what you guys really do. Sure, absolutely. Q4 is one of the leading invest relations software providers in the world. And one of the easiest ways to explain what we do is if you were to visit a public company's investor relations section, uh, section of their website, um, and if they're a client of ours, there's a good chance that um, it would be either the entire corporate website or just the investor relations section of that website would be running on Q4's content management system. Hmm. Uh, right now, we host around 700 or so North American investor relations websites. Wow. And with a recent acquisition of a company called Euro Investor uh, based out of Copenhagen, we dramatically increased our global presence. And then in addition to invest relations sites, we've been uh, looking at building our product stack over the last couple of years. So we also manage earnings events for our clients. Um, so if you ever joined a webcast where a CEO mm -hmm. or CFO or other members of the management team uh, share their quarterly results, there's a good chance that we helped administer that call or that event. And then lastly, we've moved into the intelligent solution space to, to help IROs and CFOs better understand their shareholders, what's going on in their capital markets, and um, any other insights that we can glean from the markets and help them do their jobs better. Very, very interesting. So it kind of, it sounds like it started off as just like a content management system for the uh, investor relations side of public company businesses. And then it's kind of evolved over time to, you know, being able to host uh, earnings calls and then now uh, being able to also provide that information to CFOs and CROs um, in terms of what the capital markets are demanding. Is that, or did it all kind of start from day one and, and the stack has just evolved? Uh, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, that's that's very much it. It's it's quite important in the IR space, uh, the industry that we play in, mm -hmm. to provide that that full set of services. Um, uh, there's a there's a preference to kind of be able to tie everything together, and now that we are able to both 
to have uh, companies' websites webcasting and uh, provide all the intelligence solutions is certainly um, is a is a great position to be in that we can you know go into a company and um, offer that mm-hmm. entire product stack at once. Right, right. So you touched on this briefly, uh, and I want to dig in a bit more is on the the acquisition side. So you know, um, from what I understand, Q4 has raised a total of twenty five million dollars, including a recent uh, seventeen million dollars Series B round. But what's really interesting is that in that time, you guys have done three acquisitions, and some of which, like you mentioned, the one in Copenhagen is actually cross border. So talk to me about that what is the decision making process like when you're considering you know opportunities uh for acquisition certainly you know i think when i joined i didn't uh didn't fully expect to be able to um that the company would rather you know have have, have done three acquisitions right. and you know c- continuously looking in the market um it's it's really cool to be a part of uh, all that stuff uh, when you're working for a, a high growth company and have the opportunity to 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 do M and A. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think it's the sort of norm for a um, for a uh, a software company on the in the growth stage to be able to execute those things. But you know, certainly uh, great to be a part of. Um, we did the first one in. Um, September 2015, when we acquired a company in the U.S. Uh, called Oxford Intelligence Partners, and that really was a strategic acquisition to bring in a group of guys that have that were veterans in the stock surveillance industry. Um, we're developing some some really neat capital markets algorithms, and we were able to uh, partner with them first. That's sort of one of the key messages that um, our CEO certainly uh, looks for when we're looking into the market is to be able to partner with the company first and then Very execute on. M&A. Um, you know, you want to date a little bit before you yeah. get married. <laughs> of course. Um, that's something certainly that I learned. So that partnership worked well. We were able to start, um, our, our, our sales teams were able to start selling their products. Our marketing teams were able to get up to speed. So by the time we actually um, inked the deal, yeah. uh, probably about eight months after the first partnership sort of conversations, you know, we were really operating together quite well. So I think that's something that was, you know, really interesting for, uh, for that acquisition. And, and, and that acquisition has really helped um, move along some of the other aspects of the business related to the intelligence um, stuff that we're doing and, and, and also looking into the institutional space as we look to develop additional um, capital markets insights and develop algorithms that we're able to then sell into the institutional space. So certainly strategic from a, from a um, growing our product stack, but also from a bringing forward our product yeah. roadmap to be able to offer additional services. So, so on that one where you mentioned that, you know, you, uh, especially for you know, all of your acquisitions, you look to partner first. So um, how does that conversation evolve from like, hey, we're just working on a partnership with you um, to the point where, hey, uh, we want to buy you? Like, is it as straightforward as that? Or like, I'm sure you maintain some sort of tact. Yeah, I think, you know, it's 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 probably pretty obvious early on, you know, whether this potential um, company is a good target for an M&A. Mm-hmm. I don't think we rushed anything. I think we we sort of let the let it play out the way that it did. Um, so we worked through the partnership agreement, got that in place. And then once that was in place and we were seeing it start of working, I think that's what perpetuated the talks. There was, in this case, there was, you know, great vision alignment that this at, from both CEOs and understood the importance of, of, of what we could do mm-hmm. uh, being a, co- being a combined entity as opposed to kind of competing against each other or just, or just uh, having just a partnership. So it's certainly important to, 
get to know the other side, get to know the yeah. other players, and then when you bring everyone in, there's no kind of surprises at that point. Right, and it probably, you know, uh, speeds up or, I mean, by that point, if you've got a, a strong partnership, you're already probably pretty well integrated, like you were saying, and so uh, that just makes sure that post-acquisition, you're kind of all cylinders go and, and ready to fire as a as a combined entity. Is that fair to say, or...? Very much. Um, you know, we we closed that deal, um, like I said, in about uh, early Q4 2015 or is late it, Q3. Is, right? is, that, is that on purpose? You closed in Q4? <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of things tend to happen in Q4 over here. <laughs> we have a 25% chance of it happening in Q4. <laughs> um, so you mentioned the, the, the partnership opportunities. You mentioned um, the, the, the first acquisition that you made. And so, you know, you've done two more two, since then. Was that first one kind of, uh, you know, I'm sure there were some trials and tribulations of that first one because it's that first acquisition acquisition that you're doing but after that um like it seems like you've have you have now like a quote-unquote playbook of of rolling out acquisitions you've done three of them or did that one that first one kind of give you the itch to you know buy buy more companies and um what was that uh that that learning like from that first one that you've now used maybe in the second and third certainly i think you know uh, for me personally, just working through the actual M&A process was something that I had only really seen from an auditor perspective. I was lucky enough to work on a bunch of public companies um, at PwC mm-hmm. in the mining space, did a bunch of debt raises, equity raises, uh, saw some M&A. So I was able to sort of see from the outside what that M&A process looked like, working with bankers, working with lawyers. Didn't have a full appreciation for it because I wasn't really you know, sinking my teeth into it from a, uh, from a company side, but from a support perspective perspective, I was able to sort of look in from the outside of what was happening. So yeah. I had a little bit of insight of, of how that worked, but certainly not much experience doing it. Um, the Oxford acquisition was absolutely, um, you know, a, a lot of learning. It was our first first time setting up a international entity, cross border. Um, you know, working through all the different legal documents, disclosure schedules, and the like. Sure. You know, there's the, there's a lot of paper, as you know, yes. that that, um, <laughs> that needs to get executed, and a lot of things that 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 need to get looked at from a diligence perspective. So, I think you know, getting up to speed with with how the process worked certainly allowed us to feel more comfortable looking at other opportunities and um you know i think your investor was a good example of that nice nice um so you know as a company like you mentioned q4 is uh revolutionizing the investor relations space and being the finance leader of a company with this objective you must have your own kind of investor relations in top shape even though you're not a public company but your investor relations uh need to be in tip-top shape so what are some best practices tips metrics or or the like uh that you would share with people uh that may overlook some Something uh, like board packages, as an example. Yeah, I think being in growth mode certainly um, presents its challenges uh, with regard to having good IR practices. You know, it's uh, when you're growing really quickly and you have to sort of stop and report on the quarter. Um, mm-hmm. That can be challenging at times, especially when you have other things going on that that seem to be more pressing. But we try to share a really detailed uh, quarterly letter, uh, something that uh, the CEO has been doing for a, for a long time, very detailed, um, typically three, four, five pages even, oh, wow. going through sort of each different department, um, some charts, some numbers, uh, a lot of qualitative uh, insights. 
Mm -hmm. And that's something whereby I've seen the board appreciate it. It gives them great insight into what's going on into the business. And then that's obviously supported by um, a bunch of appendices and and um, a couple other documents which are more financial-based, metrics tracking, mm -hmm. different dashboards. Um, I think I think it's, a, it's, it's important to sort of reach out to your investors as well and, and, and ask them, hey, you know, what are the things that, that you're looking for to be reported on? I know I did that after we closed the Series B and brought on a bunch of new investors. I, mm -hmm. I had conversations which were like, you know, this is what we've re been reporting in the past. Um, you know, in addition to this, what else? Sure. Are you looking for? Um, how can we beef up our reporting to make sure that you're also getting the insights you need to be able to report to your LPs and 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 your um, backers or whoever else you know you need to right, have right. reporting obligations for? Yeah, and so you know most of the the reporting, like the the final document, gets put together after the quarter. But what are some things that uh, finance leaders can be doing throughout the quarter so that um, once the quarter does end, uh, you're not kind of scrambling to to put this uh, board package or, or this uh, you know um, document together it's a good question um, I think you know when you get to the end of the quarter and you're looking back at it you sort of need to look at every piece of data and mm -hmm. make sure that it makes sense so I think I think tracking data uh, effectively having the right systems for that is very important um, I know when I joined Q4 that was something whereby we didn't have the ability to you know query things or, or, or come up with a calculation really quickly so I took the time to develop um, what we called KPI 2.0, which was this document that had all of our subscription information. We were able to run different SAS metrics off of it. Right. Um, a manual process at the time, we've now moved over to a more automated system. We're using a um, an automated billing system, which is obviously much much better sure. from a from a data integrity perspective. But I think I, I think keeping up with the data and, and structuring the data right the first time would be something that if I you know would were were to have to join Q4 earlier on, I would have you know probably pushed to make sure that we are capturing all the right data in a in a consumable format. Mm -hmm. You know, probably using Salesforce at the time. Right, right. And and the other point that I wanted to bring up was uh, you mentioned that after your Series B, you went to your investors and and asked them what are the kinds of uh, metrics and, and reporting KPIs that they wanted or needed to know. Um, how do you, and I'm sure you got a ton of uh, requests for this and that and the other thing. How do you balance uh, from pleasing every single investor with their individual requests to, uh, um, you know, striking that balance? between what's too much reporting versus what's what what's too little and what's just right i think a lot of vcs have reporting obligations whereby they know it's, it's essentially what they need to report on on a on a quarterly basis and they can you know fairly easily provide that to you so what i did was took all the different reporting documents from all of our new investors and kind of merged them into one dashboard hmm. and instead of filling out four different uh reporting packages i put everything kind of together on, on, on one dashboard and that's what a lot of them use to uh, complete their reporting obligations. There's obviously follow-up questions and sure. um, queries in terms of, you know, is this number exactly what uh, they're looking for? But uh, most of the time, 
uh, that's been a, a, a fairly efficient way of doing things. Nice, nice, awesome. So, uh, last question before we hop into a quick fire round. In in your opinion, what is the importance of the finance function at an early stage or growth stage technology company? I think it's key. I think it's key to you know have have um, have a function in there whereby the rest of the business can can lean on someone who can wear many different hats, understands the, the financial aspects of the business, and how different decisions are going to impact those results. Um, I think a lot of the time. There's maybe not enough information shared with different department heads, um, and they're not, you know, they may not fully appreciate um, the impact that some of their decisions are 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 having. Um, so I think it's important to share something I learned. We recently brought on a um, a, a CFO um, a couple of months ago. Hmm. Certainly, he's taught me a lot about you know sharing information and not holding it within finance, and that's something there whereby I wish I knew two years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> something that we are starting to put in place uh, more so now, and, and and work with individual department heads to make sure that they fully appreciate what their budget looks like and help us manage manage the manage the budget at the end of the day. Got it. Got it. So it's just sharing, um, you know, internally inter, uh, uh, between departments and, and things like this or um, other things like sharing externally as well that you may have kept uh, closer to yourself before. I think externally we did a good job. I think you know more so internally and just having the having that cadence of reporting, having um, having regular meetings with management and making sure that everyone understands the budget and any changes that can happen. Obviously, things things change you know quite often in in mm-hmm. a growth startup, especially in our case when you're looking at M and A and different things come up and there's always different hires to be looked at and how that affects the budget. So just making sure that everyone really understands. Um, the changes that are that are happening maybe more top down, but then also the effect that they're having uh, company wide. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So what I'd like to do now is hop into a quick fire round. The way this works is I'll ask you a couple of questions and you'll have uh, 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Sure, go ahead. All right. Uh, so your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related, what do you use? I subscribe to a lot of daily newsletters and blogs. Um, I like sort of just keeping my finger on the pulse of what's going on in the industry, specifically in fintech, but uh, certainly uh, the broader VC landscape. And then a lot of SaaS-related articles and surveys and... Mm. I like uh, I like nerding out to that kind of stuff sometimes. <laughs> nice. I, I know you said a lot of newsletters and blogs. Any ones that uh, that that are kind of your your go to or your favorite? Uh, the Dan Primack one. I know he's left now, uh, so yeah. Aaron now shoots that off every day. Um, that's you know pretty much staple. I think a lot of folks follow yeah. that one. Term sheet. A lot of them. Yeah, term sheet. Thanks. Um, <laughs> a lot of them have the the. Th- the similar informa- uh, similar types of information, but uh, a quick scan across uh, across a few of them will will pretty much make sure that you're caught up to date. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so then, what's your uh, favorite productivity hack? I like Trello. It uh, it's a it's a good way of staying organized. It works nicely for me. Um, can move things around pretty easily and share share tasks. Is that something you use as well? Uh, we use uh, Asana, but uh, familiar with Trello and especially the the Kanban board style moving things around. It's uh, very useful. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I often find myself, um, you know, I'm a big, like, I, I like to cross things off as I do it, and sometimes it won't be on my to-do list, but it was, it should have been. But when I finish it, I'll, I'll write it out, and then just so I can cross it off. But anyways, um, <laughs> one, one thing you don't leave uh, the office before finishing. Maybe during like a month end if we're doing some, some variance analysis and can't make sense of something, it doesn't really tie through and yeah. everything else that we understand um, that happened in a quarter doesn't seem to work. So, you know, I, I think digging through variances, I think um, growth startups, there's a lot of different things happening. Um, right. A lot of spending, a lot of different transactions through the GL, maybe some new ones. Um, so, you know, there could be, whether it's a classification error or whatever the like, but I think digging in and making sure that that number is what it is and it makes sense and you're able to sort of explain it as something that uh, would, would keep me at the office uh, pretty late. Got it, got it. So, variances, solve them before you leave. That's, uh, that's a key <laughs> takeaway there. Well, thanks thanks a lot, Ryan. I uh, really appreciate the time today and um, it was really cool learning more about uh, Q4 and how uh, Q4 has thought about M&A, especially at a, at a growth stage, uh, startup stage where it's not really common, and uh, your insights on, on investor relations as well as what uh, finance leaders can be doing um, to make their board packages and things like this uh, far more effective and efficient. So it was really great chatting with you, Ryan. Hey, no problem. Thanks so much. Cheers. Bye-bye.